0: Open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 9, page 1006 in the blue Bible in front of you. Before we read the text, though, this morning, I want to just let you know you're not going to understand everything that's being read. This is a complicated passage. There's a lot going on here with the writer. But don't let that scare you. Don't be worried about that. It's not a problem. We will walk through the passage and we will find the important things that I want you to see this morning. So as we're reading it, if you don't know exactly what's being referred, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. We don't have to understand everything in a passage to get something out of it. Sometimes because we don't understand everything, we just get scared and we stop reading. When you read a passage, it gets difficult. Just keep going because we can always learn something even if we don't know everything that's being said. In chapter 9, the writer begins by talking about the old sacrificial system in the Old Testament. That process of... Offering bulls and goats and sacrifices to God. A lot of that stuff, that we, since we don't do it today, we don't understand it. But that's where he starts, by talking about that old sacrificial system. Look at verse 9. Hebrews 9.9. 9, he sums this old system up. He said, according to this old arrangement, gifts and sacrifice are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of of the worshiper. That's his summary. This old system cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Now, let's pick up in verse 11 with the word, but. But, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, even through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation... Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption for the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctifying for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first or the old covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made that will must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made the will is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and... And all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves, with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with a blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, But as it is, Jesus has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Today we're going to have a very simple topic that we're going to talk about. And that is the topic of our conscience. Specifically, a guilty conscience. Merriam-Webster defines conscience as the part of our mind that makes you aware of your actions as being either morally right or morally wrong. Our conscience is that part of us that says, you shouldn't have done that. That feeling on the inside of, yeah, that was wrong. A guilty conscience can keep us awake at night. A guilty conscience bothers us as we think about what we've done. So as we get started this morning, just to illustrate the point... I want each of you to think about your own life. Think of something where you wrecked your conscience. You did something that you knew you shouldn't have done and it bothered you. Get something in your mind specifically. Something that troubled your conscience, not just a little bit, a lot. You got something? Maybe you stole something. Maybe you cheated on your test. Maybe you cheated on your spouse. What's something that you did that just really messed up your conscience? You knew it was wrong and it bothered you afterwards. You got it in your head? I'm not going to ask you to share it, so don't worry about that. This is just for your use. When I was in college, I worked with a friend of mine, and one day we got into a heated discussion over the Bible. I had one interpretation, and he had another. And the discussion got heated because, well, he wasn't smart enough to see that I was right and he was wrong. It was a Friday afternoon, and and we got done working. I went home, and I forgot about it. I went back to work on Monday, and when I bumped into him, he said something to me that floored me. Still moves me to this day. He felt so bad about what he had said to me, his conscience bothered him so much that he spent his Friday night driving around town trying to find where I live so he could apologize. He had to remind me what it was that we were fighting about. I'd just forgotten about it. But his conscience bothered him and he wanted to do something about it. We all know what that feels like, don't we? To have done something wrong and to feel awful about it. Even people who don't believe in God believe in the power of conscience. They, we believe that a conscience is something that everybody ought to have. And if you don't have a conscience, if you continue to commit a crime again and again and again, we'll call you a sociopath. something wrong with you. We don't need to spend time this morning proving the existence of conscience because we all know it's true. We've experienced it. Not only is conscience referenced in the Word of God... But our experience confirms it. We know what that inner voice is. But there's another part of conscience that we can all relate to as well. Not only have we experienced that feeling of shame that comes from a guilty conscience. We've all experienced what my friend Shane has experienced. And that is... Trying to deal with a guilty conscience. Trying to do something to make that guilty feeling go away. I asked you a few minutes ago to think of something that really messed up your conscience at one time in your life or another. What did you do about it? How did you try to address that guilty conscience? How did you try to make that feeling go away? Well, there are various ways that we can try to soothe a guilty conscience. Let me give you a few of them. That's not all of them. Let me give you a few just to get your mind going this morning. Number one, when you have a guilty conscience, one way you can try to deal with it is just to run away. Remember Adam and Eve? After they sinned, they ate of the tree. God said, don't eat of it. They did. They heard God coming. They ran. And they hid themselves. Many people today... Try to deal with their guilty conscience by running away. Children will hide. They'll run and hide in a closet. If they've done something wrong and they hear mom and dad coming. Adults, we grow up. So we don't hide in the closet. But we hide in other ways, don't we? Let me give you one example of how people are hiding today, I believe, to deal with a guilty conscience. This is not always true, but I believe that this is often true through addictions. Many people today, I believe, are addicted to drugs, alcohol, pornography, because they're trying to deal with a guilty conscience. They've not lived right. They don't know how to deal with this guilty conscience, so... They just get drunk to try to deal with it. Try to make it go away. Try to get rid of that that feeling. It's anesthesia, if you will, to deaden them to this feeling. Another way that you could run away from a guilty conscience is just through denial. Modern psychology often encourages people to just get rid of the guilty conscience by just denying that you did anything wrong. Oh, that's just what society says you shouldn't do. But that's, that's not true. Often, when our conscience is convicted by God, the world says we have nothing to feel bad about. And so, to get rid of the guilty conscience, we just get rid of God. I'm convinced that there are a lot of atheists today who are atheists simply because they don't want to believe in God because believing in God makes them feel guilty. So just get rid of the belief in God. Problem solved. Or at least that's the hope. Another way of dealing with a guilty conscience is through covering up what you've done. If we can just cover up the sin that we committed, it will be okay. We won't feel bad anymore. Remember David and his sin with Bathsheba? What did he try to do? Tried to cover up his sin. Tried to get the child passed off as the husband of the woman. When that didn't work, that he had the man killed and he married her so he could try to pass the kid off as his legitimate child. But David admits that even though he'd done all of this to cover up his sin in Psalm 32, he admits that his conscience still bothered him. Even though he may have kept other people from finding out about his sin... His problem remained. Because as most of us know, you can't run far enough to get away from your own guilty conscience. A third way in trying to deal with a guilty conscience is just erase it. Well, you say, how do you erase a guilty conscience? you, You do something to fix or balance out what you've done. You've done something bad that you shouldn't have done. Well, let's do something good Balance it out. It's a wash. One bad thing, one good thing. They cancel each other out. But in our hearts, we know this doesn't work. For example, how many lunches do I have to serve in a soup kitchen to cancel out a murder? Right? How many nights do I have to let a homeless person stay in my house to make up for stealing from my mom? We might want that to work, but in our heart we know that this doesn't make up for that. Helping somebody else doesn't make up for the fact that I hurt somebody different. A fourth way that might seem strange... When we look at it in context to what we're talking about, a fourth way of dealing with a guilty conscience is through religion. Some people try to deal with their guilty conscience by throwing themselves into religion. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at that next week, it says that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away a guilty conscience. It can't take away our sin. Religion, as good as it is, as important as it is in our life, it alone cannot scrub our guilty conscience. Which is why I I believe that we see people who try religion and then after a period of time they just give it up. Because it didn't work. They were trying to use religion to soothe their conscience, and after a while, when their conscience didn't feel better, they just said, Well, this isn't working for me. And they just quit. Religion can't cure or fix our guilty conscience. The last way that we're going to look at this morning to deal with the guilty conscience is just to sear it. Paul said in 1 Timothy, he talks about liars who've had their conscience seared. What that means is you can take, he he likens it to a hot iron. If you burn your hand seriously, when your hand heals the sensitivity in your hand will be diminished because you damage the nerves. The same is true with our conscience. Just as our hand can become less sensitive to touch, so can our conscience. And boy, this is one we can all relate to. You see, the first time you do something wrong, it really bothers you. Go do it again. Do it again, do it again, do it again and see what happens. Your conscience will not bother you as much. Because what you're doing is you're deadening your conscience to that feeling. So just commit the sin. Keep on ignoring the conscience. Keep on ignoring the conscience. Keep on doing the sin over and over again until eventually you're just dead to it. It doesn't bother you at all. That which used to bother you so much and would keep you awake at night, you don't even think twice about it. Because the way to deal with your conscience, just kill it. Just get it to the point where it just it's so dead. And then what happens? You have to do something even worse before you feel guilty. You see the progression of sin as you just keep deadening yourself, your conscience, to more and more sin. But ultimately, all of our efforts to deal with a guilty conscience won't work. All of our human efforts to deal with our guilty conscience will not work. Because ultimately, our problem is not with ourselves. Our problem is with God. So if we're going to effectively deal with a guilty conscience, we're going to need to deal with it God's way. You see, to us, the guilty conscience is the problem. You see, we've done something wrong and I feel bad, so I want to make that bad feeling go away. That's my problem, the bad feeling. That's the way we see it. But a guilty conscience is not the problem. A guilty conscience is a symptom of the real problem. Think of it this way. Suppose you have cancer. But you don't know it. And one day you boy. Feel hot. You take your temperature, you realize you have an elevated temperature. You have a fever. And so when you realize that you're running a fever, you grab some Tylenol, you pop some pills. A few hours later you take your temperature again, the fever's gone. What do you think? You think problem solved. Had a fever. No, I don't have a fever. Everything's good. Has the problem been solved? No. Because the fever was just a symptom of the underlying cancer which hasn't been dealt with. You might feel better, but you're still sick. You still have a problem. We see our guilty conscience as the problem, and if we can only make that guilty feeling go away, then all will be well again. But even if we can get our conscience to quiet down so it doesn't bother us anymore, we still have a serious underlying problem that needs to be taken care of. Because our sin doesn't just cause us to have a guilty conscience our sin causes us to have a break in our relationship with God and that's the key this morning what i'm talking about here is seen in chapter 9 verse 27 open your bibles and look at that hebrews 9:27 says this it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment The writer is clear. We get one life. One. And after we die, we will stand before God's throne and we will give an account of our life. Unlike Hinduism, which teaches you just keep coming back and reincarnated in different forms until you finally get it right. Christianity teaches you get one shot. One opportunity. And then we stand before God and we will be judged. Therefore, our problem is not that we feel bad over what we've done. Our problem is that we have done something wrong. And we will be judged for our sins. You see, God is not going to have us stand before him and say, how do you feel? Do you feel bad about what you've done? Because it's not important when we stand before God how we feel. When we stand before God, what is going to matter is what God says about what we've done, not how we feel about what we've done. Our feelings are not the issue. Our problem is we've sinned against God and we have a problem. We need forgiveness. And that's where the other verse that we read this morning comes into play. Look at verse 22. Hebrews 9.22 says, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Key. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Say that with me, that last part. Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. One more time, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now stop and think about that. How many people today are trying to deal with their guilty conscience without the shedding of blood? And the writer could not be more clear. There is no Forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And that's where Jesus comes into the story. Look at verse 19 of chapter 10. Turn over one page there. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Listen to what he says. The writer says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? The blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see that? Our conscience washed clean. Through what? The blood of Jesus. We just saw in verse 22 of chapter 9 that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Well, here we see it. The shedding of blood has been accomplished through Jesus. To deal with what? Our guilty conscience, our problem with God. This way of dealing with our sin problem... This is key, people. Listen to me. This is the only approved way from God. The only God-approved way of dealing with our guilty conscience is this, through Jesus Christ. We can try to deal with our guilty conscience through other means. We can try to do something good to make up for the bad that we did and say, hey, it cancels out. When we stand before God, remember, one life to live and then the judgment. When we stand before God, when God says, let's talk about your life. Oh God, I'm okay. Because see that bad stuff I did over there? I did some good stuff too. We're going to call it a wash. At which point God says, no we're not. Because we don't get to determine for God what God accepts. Are are we in agreement with that? We cannot force God to accept our terms and say, well, God, I think I paid for it. I think I'm good to go. And God's going to say, it doesn't matter if you think you're good to go. I say the only approved way of dealing with your sin problem is through the shedding of blood through Jesus Christ. God does not stop us from trying other things, but God says this is the only way that's going to work. This is the only way that God accepts. It's amazing the number of people today who have just convinced themselves that God is okay with them. Even though they have not done what God says is necessary for their sin to be forgiven. Just ask them, oh yeah, God's fine with me, I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I'm a good person. God did not say, if you want to get to heaven, just be a good person. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You may be sitting here today and think, I'm okay, because I'm a good person. And compared to other people, I'm better than other people. You might even be sitting here today and say, I'm a religious person. I go to church every week. But the Bible does not teach that God's forgiveness of sin comes from being a good church attender, being a religious person. Just because our conscience doesn't bother us doesn't mean we're okay. Doesn't mean we don't have a problem before God. Because we may have soothed or seared our conscience to the problem, it doesn't even bother us anymore. Just because you don't feel like you have a problem doesn't mean you don't have a problem. Just like you can have cancer and not know it. Well, I feel fine. Wonderful. But just feeling fine is not the key. And the death of Jesus on the cross, the death of Jesus on the cross shows us how seriously God takes sin. Are you with me? God didn't just say, hey, 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 don't do that again. I saw what you did. Don't, like we as parents do with our kids. I mean it. I mean it. You do that again, you're in trouble. God doesn't just warn us again and again that we better stop doing it. God doesn't just give us a, well, that's okay. You know how we are when somebody hurts us. Somebody doesn't, well, that's all right. God doesn't just sweep our sin under the rug with a, that's okay. God has dealt with our sin in a serious way by sacrificing His Son for our sins. He was sacrificed for our sins. He was sacrificed because of our sins. However, some people today... Are very arrogant about standing before God as if they have nothing to worry about. But I don't want to stand before God someday and feel okay when I'm not. I want to actually be right with God. I don't want to have God look at me and say, well, you know what? That's great that you feel fine, but you didn't do what I said needed to be done. I said, this is the only way that you might have eternal life, and you chose to ignore it. I don't want to stand before God and say, well, I hope you're going to be okay with my alternate plan. Because I thought this was good enough. I want to be right with God when I stand before Him. Now, does that put a different spin on a guilty conscience? A guilty conscience is God's way of pointing out we've got a problem. A guilty conscience is God's way of drawing us to himself. So that we can deal with the problem in the way that God wants. The only way that God will accept. I'm going to ask the servers if they would come and help with the meal. Let me see Look at verse 12 in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9.12 says this, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This morning we celebrate the homegoing of Jerry Henry. And when she stood before God... She stood there in purity, in righteousness, not because she was good enough herself, not because she was a dear church member. She stood there in righteousness before God because she had clothed herself in the righteousness of Christ and she had accepted his means of salvation for her. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. Because none of us is perfect. And God doesn't say, you know what? Just be good enough. Be good in your eyes. Be good in the eyes of the people of the world. And you'll be okay with me. God says the only way we can get into heaven is by being perfect. At which point we say, then there's no hope. Then there's no hope. And the answer is that is exactly right. If you are trusting in your goodness, you have no hope. But we can be perfect because of Christ's forgiveness of our sins. Our sins can be totally washed away And we can stand before God without any guilty conscience at all. Not because, hey, I was good enough. No, because I have done what God said needs to be done. We can stand before God, not with arrogance, but with confidence. Because we've done what God said must be done. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for this time to be reminded again of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And God, I pray during this time that each one of us would look in our own heart, asking ourselves about our conscience. God, we know we've not lived perfect lives. We know we've gone away from you. We've sinned. Now, God, the question is, have we accepted Your gift to us through the death of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins as we trust Christ, as we commit ourselves to him. We pray that you would bless this time and bless this meal to our spirit, that we might grow in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.